Lunchtime Dallas. Good evening, Scotland. Welcome to Boom It's on the Blockchain. How are you today, Garrett? I'm doing good. How are you, Alistair? Good, good, good. You're just about to drink your uh, cup of coffee or tea, is it? Yep, we got some coffee here going. It's uh, it's a good morning. It's a good morning. Perfect in that as well. So, uh, well, what kind of coffee are you drinking, Garrett? Uh, I think this is a dark roast. We got a little bit of coffee mate in there. And uh, I don't know. It's good. All the healthy stuff of the day. Oh, well, so the second quarter results are out. So for all the big oil companies, they're making the news right now by making more money than they've ever made before. So let's just jump straight in here, Garrett, and let everyone know the good news. All right. Yeah, so it's, uh, you know, you had found this article here from Statista. I think it provided a very good um, rundown of where these oil prices are currently sitting. Um, and in comparison to quarter two, 2021, when, you know, uh, it's a little bit of a different narrative. It wasn't as bad as quarter two, 2020, but uh, this is definitely, uh, I'm sure these companies are all very happy, uh, especially Exxon. Exxon is uh you know, leaps and bounds ahead of where they were last year. Yeah, massive profits of like $18 billion. So for people to understand that the oil price has essentially been away at $120, hitting $117.18. You know, it's dropped right today below $90 a barrel, $87 a barrel we checked just before we came online just now. So, so you know, these prices are sort of coming down. But if you think about it, ExxonMobil last quarter, $18 billion, we're all stuck at home, inflation's going through the roof, gas prices are going up, most consumers are not too happy with this information. So give a bit of background, Garrett, and why you think the prices have been pushed up, or is it just all to do with the war in Ukraine? I, I really don't think it's all to do with the war in Ukraine. Um, I don't I don't think, you know, that that plays into it. But there is uh, there is much bigger things that have to do with this. And it's uh, it's all a story and every everything kind of comes together. You know, it started when they chose to get rid of the Keystone XL pipeline. And I would say that there was a crescendo. You know, there was a definitely a crescendo with the beginning and proliferation of the Ukraine war. But if we look at it now, this is the um, this is the combination between, you know, liberal, you know, political policy and, you know, along with infrastructural shortcomings in the United States and Europe uh, that have led us to uh, essentially a, a position where uh, Saudi Arabia and Russia have a very strong ability to just set the uh the price of oil and subsequently this the, the price of gasoline and um that's what led us to where we are right now um i'm certain if they ended that war in ukraine tomorrow they turn back on the nord stream one i it would have nothing to it would have no effect on these gas prices because it's purely um it's what the democrats want it's a it's a political play and um i think there's some positive uh, aspects to it, but there's also a lot of negative aspects to the consumer. So, yeah, I also think, well, I think if the war in Ukraine was decided, then prices would come back to settle around about $60, $65 a barrel. I think a lot of it is because right now Europe is so dependent on Russian gas, yes. whereby when he does the, then now Putin just switches the gas off to do. Uh, essentially pipeline ins inspections yeah. that's easy. this is the way to ruin europe now it's not about we're going to invade rest of europe is we're just going to do pipeline maintenance and inspection oh sorry nobody's got gas this week prices go rocking straight back up also helps that russia is one of the biggest gas suppliers in the world and all the surplus 
gas that uh, was essentially the sanctions. When the sanctions came in, it was going to come in here to essentially freeze Russian gas, real massive pressure on the Russian economy. And all that surplus has been bought by China and India. And then even now, they're buying up all the surplus. So he has no problem where he can sell his gas. And then he still has massive control over Europe. And right now we're in the summer. You know, if places like Germany that we spoke about in the last podcast get 52% of their gas from Russia, if they can't find a secondary supplier now, between now and probably October, November, you know, where are they going to get a supplier for 52% of their gas? You know, what are they going to do? I saw the um, one of the ministers of um, energy in Germany now saying we're going pro-nuclear. After only six months ago, as part of their Green New Deal is, we're going to switch off the nuclear power plants. That is completely thrown out the window now as well because they need power. The other problem people need to think about is because Germany is the big manufacturer in Europe, and a lot of that gas that comes in is getting used for refined refined plastics through BASF, but four percent. But also, what happens is that a lot of just goes to industrial companies manufacturing. So, in addition to making everyone freeze at home, what he'll be able to do is he can essentially turn off manufacturing in Germany if he switches off the gas for probably about two to three weeks. And then it creates a huge indent into their economy because then you're talking about thousands of people about to lose their job. So, you know, they were warned by NATO, the Germans. 10 years ago, that they should not be becoming more and more dependent on Russian gas. They chose to ignore ignore that. Obviously, America was pushing against that back then. You know, Biden and when Trump came in, you know, we saw Trump sitting there, you know, no matter what you want to say about Trump is, he said they were crazy to be 100% or 52% reliant on Russian gas because you fall out with these guys, where's it going to lead to? And then, you know, even though this is war in Ukraine and Germany hasn't fallen out with them, essentially now you're basically, you know, he can turn the pipeline on and off. So that's problems all around Garrett. But, you know, is there a sort of a silver lining in the future coming up? Well, I uh, I definitely think that uh, if they, I mean, the clock is ticking now, it's, it's August. And, uh, you know, within two months, it's going to be getting mighty cold over there in Europe. And, uh, you know, unless they solve this, if they're able to solve and end this war by wintertime, I think things will be good. It will be good. But I, I, I don't. Um, yeah, I don't I, see the war stopping. I don't see this ending. I don't I don't think this is going to end. I think it's going to rapidly intensify with the weaponization of uh, of oil, LNG, you know, all of this green food, everything like Grain, that. Everything. Yeah, it's it's all being weaponized by Russia and they're doing they're doing essentially a far more cutthroat version of um, you know, they're using this Nord Stream 1 pipeline like Enron used rolling blackouts in California in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s. You know, they 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 didn't have volatility, you know, in the the electricity market. Enron didn't have volatility, so they went ahead they made some, you know, and that's what uh Putin is doing here with natural gas. It's, you know, it would be, I, I, you know, I, I don't know how things are at Gazprom. I mean, it might be good, it might be bad, you know, because they're essentially yeah, record profits as well. Yeah, but they're the pawn at the end of the day, and they, they're the ones getting yeah. told, okay, turn it on or turn it off. And I think uh, if 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 they're, you know, a Russian energy trader with inside information right now is probably that that's probably the most profitable business to be in right now because if you have the inside information of, of you know. When Putin's going to turn that thing on or off, you know, you're, you're set, you know, you, you just know, you know, where to place your lungs, where to place your shorts and you're, you're golden, you know, you just, uh, you just trade whatever they tell you. Cause they've got Europe, you know, in a, you know, it's a, it's a linchpin position, you know, this Nord Stream one pipeline has over Europe. Oh yeah. You get a lot of people now they're, it's not like they're pro Russian, but they're just, they're basically Jeremy Corbyn, which was he ran for prime minister here against Boris Johnson lost. You yeah. know, he's now in the news this week saying, we, you know, I do not want to send any more weapons to Russia 
And what we need to do is talk about peace and not talk about war. So it's like, you've not waved the white flag, but really, you know, you're not far off it. You're basically saying, well, where is the peace? Which, you know, there's some of it, there's truth in some of that as well. You know, we need to discuss where the future peace is. But if you're Ukrainian and you've just been invaded and you've lost uh, 12% of your land and he's not given up till he gets all the way along to Odessa, what are you going to do? Just give him the green light. Oh, well, he can have all this anyway. And we'll just, uh, we'll just call it even Stevens and we'll just move out. You know, until he invades you next time. <laughs> it's just like yeah, it's slowly it's, chipping away. It's just like that's, 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 how a, they that's see a strategy. You know, they, they either have to, you know, and if you want to do a quick, uh, let me see if I can drag it in there. Yeah, well, if you want to do a screen share again, this this shows kind of the situation. Uh, I, I love this tool, Live UA Map. It's it's wonderful. This this is territory. The blue is what they had taken before they lost it. But what they're really zeroing in on is down here. Um, I, I don't know the name of this, but they want to get all the way to Odessa, like you said, and kind of bridge into this Transnistria region. And, you know, it's, it's for control of the Black Sea. That's that's what they want. I don't blame them. Yeah. Uh, it makes sense. Yeah, I wonder if you could see the pipeline because it's, because from the very start, so people have to understand that all the gas, and it was coming through Europe, Nord Stream 1, you know, it goes through Ukraine. Ukraine taxes that gas that comes through. If there's Moscow's not far away from Ukraine, if they can get the pipeline and they can come through all the bit of land that they own down the bottom now, and then essentially it comes out through the Black Sea, and then it can go everywhere else in the world. It's just like now we've taken ownership of this piece of land, this strip of land, and if they say war is not about economics, the economics of him putting all the gas pipeline through Russian-controlled land out to the Black Sea through Crimea changes everything. And then again, he's able to take all his uh, grain, everything in terms of farming, and everything that's going to all these other places in Africa, that's it. That changes it. Otherwise, it has to go out through Europe and away down the north and come in that way. And it's not so diff. It's a lot more difficult. So Russia owning this piece of land from an economic perspective is massive, you know? Yeah. And here is uh, I think this makes it a little bit easier to visualize. But Nord Stream 1 and 2, they don't actually even run through Ukraine. Ukraine is being used as a political leverage to say, Hey, if you use this pipeline between, you know, Central Europe, Germany and Russia, you're bad. You know, you're in the global sense of, you know, geopolitics, you're bad. And that's what they're trying to do is they said, hey, let's start this war down here. And then it makes a political climate where we can turn, you know, we can turn this pipeline on and off and, you know, cause issues. So the the cause is this right here. Everything you see on this map is a cause, you know, it's causing grain shortages too. This is the effect is that this becomes a political pawn. You know, this pipeline that you see right here, Nord Stream 1 and 2, it becomes a political pawn. Uh, so it's, it's fascinating um, because I think this will be something that's definitely looked back on in, uh, you know, history classes for decades and centuries to come, but how they're utilizing, you know, they're utilizing this war uh, to to make a, a political situation, you know, thousands of miles to the north between Russia and, you know, Central Europe's economic powerhouse, Germany. Yeah, it's massive. Yeah. It's, and and that, that dictates the price. Yeah. People need to see that. That's that's how we are. Let's just switch us back in there as well. So the price is now getting controlled by Putin. Yes. Yep. That's so um, it's it's back to before we would just say, well, it's OPEC controls the oil price. They'll yep. dictate of how many additional barrels they want to let into the system. You know, for OPEC, it's the wars. Un, it's unstabling for the region. But if ninety nine percent of your income is from oil, like a place like Iraq and oil is down at $45 a barrel, it's not good. When oil is over $100 a barrel, it is good. 
So yeah. it's it's massive, even for places like Iraq and Iraqi governments. And, you know, the way the, the oil contracts are set up in a place like that is, you know, pre-war, so you're looking the pre the, the Gulf War, all the contracts were run by the Iraq government. Yep. So they ran all the oil contracts. It was essentially state-run oil and gas. Yep. Post-Iraq War, you know, you get all these people. Uh, there's some guy on TikTok the other day going, well, we, we didn't get free oil out of that. Yeah, but post the war, before the war, pre-war, the contracts were run by the Iraq government. And it doesn't matter how bad their oil industry was, they ran it all. Post-war, yeah. all the contracts are now run by the big oil companies. And the Iraq government get 20% of all the oil that comes out. A little known fact is that they were threatening to switch off of the dollar to the euro, too. And this is where I actually had a really productive conversation um, back in the spring when I traveled to Saudi Arabia about what if we use Bitcoin to settle the price of uh, oil transactions. Because I I think in the long term, in a geopolitical long term, it would be very advantageous to all players. It's borderless and, you know, it's not subject. It's it's very traceable, but it's not subject to sanctions and whatnot. Um, And it was a suggestion that I think it it perked some ears up. um, And I think it does have a place in the future. I, you know, I'll put that out there as my prediction now that Bitcoin will eventually replace the U.S. dollar as the um, settlement mechanism for oil and gas transactions. But that was a big thing is they, they wanted to switch to the euro. Saddam wanted to switch to the euro. Lesser note, but. Yeah. Oh, plus, I think, you know, they look at stable coins, but the stable coin would have to be run by, you know, if Aramco decided we are doing the Aramco stable coin uh, for oil and gas, there was also talk about Gazprom wanting to switch to their version of a stable coin yeah. that they wanted yeah. to use to settle gas. And they, they were talking about this seriously. Yeah. They were looking at this just before this war, they were thinking, well, we can force all our customers to start paying everything in our Gazprom stable coin. And yeah. that's what we're going to, we're going to, so if you want to buy our gas, it's through the Gazprom stable coin. And, you know, ultimately what you're going to do, and that can be benchmarked against the dollar or wherever else they wanted to trade, but suddenly everything's settled in a different currency than the dollar. And And it's it's only a matter of time before something happens in the market space that will start to change how this operates. And the big oil companies, because, you know, inflation is running at 9.1%. If they've got their own oil stable coin, which obviously we know, Dan, that, that he did the original oil stable coin, oil coins concept, yep. white paper written about that out there. That's where so much of the stuff's been written on. You know, it, it's true that the, the, the it was just too early ahead of the curve in terms of adoption of this there. But, the, you know, the technology and the idea behind it sound. And it's just going to come a point whereby the super majors, and they'll probably all go together as a pact. And this will be able to go, so you'll get Aramco join, you'll get the Exxon, BP, Shell, Chevron, even yeah. Gazprom, once Putin's gone. You know, we'll wait till Putin's gone, he can't live forever. You never know, there might be technology that he can live longer, you know, so yeah. like yeah. the Monty Burns type thing, you know, 130 years from now. <laughs> he's oh, yeah. still going but when he's gone they'll be wanting to do this as well and they all merge together because they're all companies you know if you go out to the big sh- show in Abu Dhabi Adnock and the big oil show out there they're all thick as thieves they're all stands next to each other they're all speaking to each other they're all working together if you look at some of the big projects out in Iraq you'll find that PetroChina is working with ExxonMobil so right now if you look at the news America and China are about to go to war because Pelosi decided to go on her, you know, annual vacation to Taiwan. But if you go out to a place in Iraq, you'll find ExxonMobil working with PetroChina, essentially operating one of the giant fields together. So international oil companies want to work together. If you go to Dubai, they want to work together. Luke Oil's in Dubai, Gazprom's in Dubai. All the major companies that operate in Iraq and other countries across the Middle East, they all they all operate out of Dubai because they like to be based there. It's uh, their version of Vegas. They can get to do whatever they want. It's tax-free, no sanctions on your money. It's safe to keep your money there. Every single Russian oligarch's hiding there because it's like, 
you know, and we're not going to steal your cash. So they all operate there. So people need to understand that the international companies outside politics want to work together. And when it comes to something with oil and gas, they're going to want to work together as well. So it's, and that's good. It's, it's better to see international companies liking to work together rather than governments, you know, going to war over this little piece of land that somebody owned and then we owned and they owned and then they're fighting for this, that and everything else. Now, whichever side of the line you're on, it's still fighting, it's still negative, it's still war, whereby if you go to certain countries of the world, you'll find international companies like working together because essentially they've got the same goal of making money. So I believe you've got another article coming up. So let's just bring that in just yep. now then, Garrett. Got it up here. The BP profits have tripled uh, to 8.4 billion dollars as millions face rising energy bills so this is uh you know it's they posted their biggest profit since 2008 and they've cashed in on these soaring energy prices um it's one of those things where i think that uh, they they need to do this this is something that is a necessity of their business and a necessity of the political circumstance because they're next on the chopping block after shell i would not be surprised if within two years, I would not be surprised if within two years, Parliament comes down, brings BP to the chopping block, and it just becomes just like uh, Shell in the Hague. It's going to be the same thing. Everybody knows it too. They won't show up to any of the conferences. They were they were not there at Sarah Week. They were not there at uh, COP twenty six. I don't think they they just don't want to touch it. They don't want to. They want to pretend like they don't exist. <laughs> oh, or they're renewable energy. They're green energy companies. Yeah. So they're big. Everything from marketing is pushing into green energy. I yeah. think when people look at the profits is, you know, their business is split in two. So you've got the upstream side of their business, which is the one that's making huge profits. But the downstream side of their business, it refines the oil. It goes to the gas station, petrol stations. You go up there, you fill out the pump. That's from their downstream side of their business. Now, the downstream side of their business isn't actually doing that well because they have to buy the oil at high prices. But if you're a consumer and you're looking at this, you're thinking, well, wait a minute. They're both called BP. They're just the down. Oh, but the BP, the BP suffering. So the BP chairman or the new chief executive came out and said, you know, he feels for the British people. I was watching him on the news. He feels for the British people because he understands because our downstream part of our business is struggling. Yeah, but you're buying oil and you're upstream side of your business. It's just like BP upstream, BP downstream. That's hilarious. You know, yeah, we, we, we understand triple profits. Yeah, we understand triple profits. We feel for your downstream business that's struggling right now because you're having to pay high oil prices to get your oil. But it doesn't change the fact that when it's refined, it's taken across. But if you go out to Abu Dhabi or you go out to Saudi Arabia and you've got Aramco or you've got Adnoc, they're selling at the gas stations, but they're selling at the gas stations for next to nothing, you know. So they, they don't actually rip off the consumers out there in the same way it's structured over here. But, you know, these companies have been struggling. It's like make hay while the sun shines. BP are going to continue to post huge profits. And if the oil price continues, and as long as the war in Ukraine keeps going, they'll continue to do this. The one thing is, like, how do they transition across into renewable energy? Are they going to continue to keep buying into wind farms and solar farms? Obviously, they will. It's just the case of this transition period that could do 10, 15 years. I know you like to say out of sight, out of mind. But uh, when you're posting 8.4 billion quarterly profits, triple from last year, it's quite difficult to keep that out of sight, out of mind. But, you know, once it go, a week of this goes by and then suddenly it's like it settles back in. But as you said, Garrett, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. And then you've got yep. the government taxation on this as well. You know, they're trying to hammer these guys for a windfall tax, but the government still likes getting their tax out of the petrol pumps that you're suffering as well. So the government's making more money in taxation of the oil price being high. We got, a, we like got to tell you this. One. We got another good one right here. <laughs> uh, Bank of England the rate yeah. to raise uh, the interest rates by one point seven five percent. They're they're just following suit, you know. So they have to do something now. 
it's the way they, they try and claim the bank. Oh, the Bank of England operates out with government in the UK. You know, it's just like total garbage. It's just like, but they have to do. It's the only thing. It's the only thing they can stop with interest rates increasing yeah. all the time is to, well, inflation increasing is to increase interest rates. Yep. It means if you're on any sort of variable loan or mortgage right now, your payments are about to just jump up a huge amount unfortunately yeah. so that's not going to be good for anyone borrowing money is not going to be easy for people you'll still be able to borrow money it's just you're going to pay a premium for this money right now but you know interest rates have been low for a long time it's just allowing people to access capital but if it can slow up the growth of inflation which i think hopefully it will and with the oil price coming down again high inflation has pushed that down because then the economy suffers People are not buying as much goods as they normally do. So when that happens, then, you know, we're not out buying things. We're not shipping as much products. We're not using as much gasoline. And then essentially when it goes into recession, normally when a country goes into recession, the consumer doesn't buy as much. And then interest, you know, inflation starts to come down a little bit. That's the plan anyway. So we'll see how it all pans out from there, Garrett, you know. So, any other articles related to this, Garrett? Uh, well, we got our photo. I think we got to show the photo. Oh, yeah. This is the real reason everyone needs to know we're, why. We're going to take it. This is why gas prices are a little bit lower this week. Yeah, yeah. Look, look at this. Before, <laughs> before he got into office, well, when he was uh, running against Trump, you know, I'm not going to count out to the Saudis. Uh, there's nothing they can do. We're switching to renewable energy. I'm not going to be like Trump and being best buddies with these guys organizing golf tournaments, being their best friend. Oil price through the roof. Selling U.S. strategic resources to China. Suddenly out to Saudi Arabia, cap in hand, asking for them to release some more oil. They have been releasing more oil, everyone, 200,000 barrels a month for the last two, three months. This is helping as well. It's daily release. But rather than anything else, we'll give it the old fist pump. <laughs> exactly, right? I mean, you can't deny they got us right. The Saudis got us right. They're helping out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just like he doesn't he could have had him mind the short and curlies there basically pulling down on that as well but you know and he needs to show some face so don't worry you know anything you need us to do to keep iran under control you know don't there as well we'll send a few missiles about you know any more playing saudi arabia anything you've been up to the, 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 you know, we'll wipe the slate clean. You know, there you go. No problem at all, guys. Any any past misdemeanors, you know, there you go. We'll let you out for that. Just uh, sell us a little bit more oil and get the price pumps back in America. And then it's a, a fist pump rather than a handshake yeah. is the, the name of the game, you know. I'm just going to put it out there. If they need a, a stable coin put together, give me a call. I know how to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Stable coin there if you want to replace it there as well. So it's, uh, but you know, that's basically what happens. So this war in Ukraine has led to this. You wouldn't even think of that okay. coming into the, the election. It was like oil price was low. We're switching to renewable energy, you know, price and pumps low. Suddenly it's like the opposite. We need them to release more oil. They're not, they're not wanting to release too much oil because they like a high oil price. So why would they want it doesn't benefit Saudi Arabia the oil price going back to forty dollars a barrel. They like it over a hundred. They like it high. They release a little bit that comes back. And then it comes back to, you know, we've been diving into strategic resources in the US. I can't believe we were selling strategic resources to China. It's like we're tough in China, but we're selling our strategic resources oil to them, even though they're buying up the excess gas from Russia as well. The China the always go laughing to the bank, you know. No matter what you say about the Chinese, they're 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 definitely smart when it comes they, to international they politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They they are working stuff right over, you know. They're, they're raking us over the coals right now with Biden's uh, office. They've got, you know, selling the strategic reserve to them. I can't believe releasing the strategic reserve. I can't believe that either. Oh, yeah. You just think then there's that Afghanistan war that went on for 20 years. You know, the U.S., U.K. spending billions of dollars in it. 
you know, China comes in the back end, you know, oh, well, sorry, we're not going to go to war with you, but, but you're needing some money to develop your country. We'll give you a loan. <laughs> now the Taliban are absolutely breaking themselves because last Friday of the month, they've got to pay their interest <laughs> to, yeah. the, to the Chinese, the Chinese bank, the Chinese government, you know. And that's it. They just come in there. Oh, wait a minute. All the lithium in the world's out in Afghanistan as well. And we're all moving to electric vehicles. Good timing to move in there from the Chinese again. You know, you've got to hand it to the Chinese. I know some people get upset about them, but if you look at the way they operate and they've gone into Africa and they've gone to other countries, they don't go in there and have wars with people. They go in there and lend the money and then take on massive government contracts, award it to their own companies, help build infrastructure. Right. And then they're providing all the product. They're doing all the manufacturing. You know, th that's if you think if you think going back thirty years, out with the military might of America. If you think from the economic might of what China's done in the last thirty years, it's absolutely incredible. And we've just sort of shot ourselves in the foot by trusting the corporations because they want a cheaper product. They didn't want to have a workforce. Great, we'll subcontract everything to China. We don't have to deal with the unions. Profits all go up. Suddenly, the world goes into lockdown. We get everything from China. They're the world's biggest manufacturer. You know, now you're going into international politics. You know, do you really stop China doing stuff on their doorstep? Well, nobody did anything for Hong Kong. If anything happened in Taiwan, you know, would we really go in there? We get too much product from them, you know, leave them to their own devices. Internationally, they go into different countries. They provide loans to countries. They set that up. They go in and do manufacturing. The Taliban are borrowing money off China to essentially rebuild the country that's been at war. All oh, the big yeah. contracts are going to the big Chinese companies. So they are now coming in. Chinese workers are going into to Afghanistan. There's Russia had a 15-year war with Afghanistan, lost, basically, or couldn't beat them, you know, because they go hide in the, the hills. Basically, next, America comes in with Britain 20 years later, goes on forever, can't beat them, has to pull out, leaves, what was it, $80 billion worth of weapons behind. They've got a pretty decent work, <laughs> it's a decent military force now. You know, and then China just walks in, oh, by the way, we'll lend you some money and help rebuild your country. Uh, and then, so the money they're giving these countries, they're actually getting it back in interest and they're picking up all the contracts as well at the same time. And then people think the Chinese don't know what they're doing. You know, I think that's the, the opposite effect. They're the world's manufacturer. We don't get our product in time. You know, you're, you're on your Amazon website, made in China, and it comes. Yeah. Biggest, oh. biggest polluter in the world because they've got all the coal plants, but they're the manufacturer of the world. The Green New Deal doesn't say a peep against it. Amazing. It's amazing yeah, yeah. how it's worked like that, you know, and you think about it, and we just we just talk about it, got it, and no one seems to complain about it. So they're doing something right. And it's not just easy to say, oh, well, they've set this up and they've done all that. It's just a case of, look what's happening. And there's Biden there doing the old fist pump, going to Saudi Arabia for more oil, because it's like without him, do, with it, if he didn't do this, it would be worse. So if everyone, all your Republicans think, oh, that's a disgrace, well, I'm glad he went because at least they're saving you 50 cents at the, the gas station, guys. Because if you didn't, it'd be a lot worse than what it is, got it? Uh, exactly. Yeah, because it's, um, it's a double-edged sword. It's either we do the domestic drilling and, uh, you know, domestic, oil. Yeah. <laughs> and also, Which we should be, you know. Uh, yeah. I mean, it would be better, much better to do that. But, um, then cut giant checks to Saudi Arabia on a daily basis. Yeah. <laughs> you know, taxpayers' money. How you go? Yeah, you know, off we go, and we'll send yeah. some planes and whatever else you're needing as well from our military. You know, anything else you can do, we can just keep you happy. Bit of a fist pump, and then on we go. You know, same with China. We'll just like rather than manufacture product in America using renewable energy, the plant will manufacture all the product in China at the coal plants. Is coal power to do it? You know why? Why, would China, why does China have to listen anyway? They don't. If we just the stuff we've talked about today, why are they doing everything wrong? You know, yeah. from a Chinese yeah. perspective, they're not. Not yeah, at all. China is, uh, you know, and they they've also strategically used this uh, COVID as an opportunity to stay locked down. China's still on lockdown. It's one of tw oh. twenty five remaining countries. There's one hundred sixty four countries that are open. Thirty five that are. You know, still require a COVID test, but 
it's one of 25 countries that's on lockdown and it's the biggest country on lockdown. Yeah, and, it, and, and everybody suffers around the world because, you know, we are basically get all our product from there. So now we've got supply chain issues. Yep. The supply, we never had supply. For a while there, we had no supply chain issues because we didn't even think about it. China goes into lockdown, places starting to collapse. And as we move into renewable energy and green energy, they're going to manufacture all the green energy products using coal. People don't even think about that. All these solar panels on your reef, all these wind turbines you're making, everything we talk about, all these car batteries, it's all going to be powered by coal. So we're going to have to increase coal production in China to get all our renewable energy product. And people think, well, I'm not happy about that. Well, that's that's what's happening. But you think you're going green, especially when it's here. Exactly, yeah. People think because it has a battery in it, oh, it's green. You know, the they don't understand that the we, we need the infrastructure changes to come in to provide green electricity on mass. And, you know, I'd say California is the closest of the 50 United States to make progress in that direction where it's, you know, I think they had a day, like one day where it was 100% renewable. Um, seeing as we have uh, just brought up the chewing the cut, I'll, I'll switch over to, uh, know, yeah. We got our latest thing there. Yeah, we can just talk about, we'll talk about China, we'll talk about India going forward. And, you know, essentially 10 years from now, that'll be the two biggest economies in the world. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 20 years from now, I think it'll be India. Yeah. So here we go. Michael Saylor, the Bitcoin bull, let us know what's been happening with him. Well, uh, it's I, I find this article is, encapsulates everything here uh you know sailor is an executive chairman he'll remain with the company as an executive chairman but he has resigned um after posting a nearly one billion dollar loss from a three billion dollar bitcoin buying spree and you know i just remember that this like it, it seemed like it was this guy's first rodeo or something you know because he kind you know he comes in with his nasally voice he looks like a mouse and he'd always be like, oh, I'm buying Bitcoin. I'm buying Bitcoin. I'm buying Bitcoin. And it was like, he didn't seem to understand that $30,000 a coin was uh, maybe not the uh, best price of entry. And I think uh, I think it's going to go lower, too. You know, you got another one here, so you know who you're looking at, this this fella right here. Um, what was his payout? Do we know his payout when he left? How much did he get? Oh, I don't I don't think he got a payout. I think he's going to remain as an executive chairman, but I think he's made uh, quite a fool of himself um, throughout this. And, uh, you know, Vitalik was saying the same thing. He's like, oh, yeah, Michael Saylor. You know, it's funny how these Bitcoin maximalists pick their hero and he ends up just, you know, fumbling. And it's... Uh, because it's the, the problem is, is with Bitcoin, as much as it sounds good to just like hodl the coins or whatever, it would have probably been better more for this guy, you know, if he would have just sold 60,000 and, you know, rode off into the sunset until the next halving, you know, like you have to trade it. You can't just sit on it. <laughs> yeah. Plus he was buying when it was getting higher and higher because he was going yeah. on a bit hitting 100,000. So just like everyone who came in when it was 60,000 and above and lost a lot of money in Bitcoin so far, you know, he, he basically um, refused to sell even when it was coming down. Yeah, which is part of the problem. he was doubling down. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things with um, El Salvador is very similar too. you know, it's... Um, it's, you know, that guy kept, you know, buying Bitcoin and buying Bitcoin and it just doesn't, that's not how it works. Like, you know, even it's funny that some people that are complete maximalists, they've been in this for a long time. They've had their coins since like 300 bucks or whatever, um, sometimes even lower. They just don't understand, like, you sell it, like, you know, it's going to go down. It's not going to stay that way forever. And then you're going to be you're going to be left high and dry, especially, you know, it's looking increasingly likely when I look at the 200 day and the 100 yeah. day um, MRI indicators, you know, 
this is a very basic chart here, but you can, uh, you can actually, it's actually one day you can see what it's dropped just from his news, see how much it dropped just from his article coming out. It's like, but then if you start going for, that's just basically dropped off what happened to him within yeah. a day. You know, that's like bad news for Bitcoin. But if you push that out, Gannett, to like one year, you'll be able to see the, you can show people the peak when it's, yeah. Yep, and that's it's like uh, it's hitting us nearly seventy thousand dollars. You go top like, right there, and you know the the, the thing is, is uh, I'm going to go to the max. It's a very simple chart. You know, we're not having any MRI indicators. There's no indicators here to show people. But typically, the, the people the the I'm hodling mindset is from you know the chart doesn't even go that far back. If you bought Bitcoin at a thousand bucks when it went to a thousand bucks in 2013, it doesn't go that far back on Google. But you would still be at a gain at the lowest point in 2018 at $3,000. You're still at like 350% gain. If Bitcoin falls any lower, should it fall any lower than this? There are positions that are prime for liquidation at 12K. And I think it's going back to 12K. And that will be the first time in Bitcoin's history that and it already has. It's becoming very close. I think it did retrace the pre see nineteen two twenty four, the previous all time high. It did retrace that all time high. If it retraces it further, and Bitcoin goes back to the target price, I think of twelve to thirteen k, that nullifies almost every Bitcoin maximalist thinking that they can just hold this thing and it's going to carry them for, through retirement. You know, um, you need to trade it like it's an like any other asset, it's something that your, you know, your hand becomes forced, you know, in, a, in an event like this, in, in an event where it is retracing a previous all time high. And let's say you bought, let's say you bought somewhere in here, you know, you bought somewhere in here. Well, your money is just sitting there and it's probably maybe you offset inflation a little bit if it goes back to 12K, but you're, you're not at a big gain. You know, you would make a better gain in the S&P, you know, um, so but you have all this opportunity, this wonderful volatility right here to trade, you know, and you have this wonderful volatility to get out and, you know, make an exit and, you know, have tremendous profit. But um, I learned my lesson way back, way back here. You know, I had all this stuff and I had I watched it go way up and way down. And, you know, I, I knew coming in here that, hey, you got to trade it. You have to sell it. And even if it's not at the price or, you know, your portfolio is looking as big as you want it to, you have to sell and you have to take profit where profits do. Even if it's like, hey, you know, uh, a 40 percent bullish, bullish allocation and, you know, 60 percent cash you know, take the 60% cash and, you know, keep 40% bullish allocation. But where we're at right now, um, this only looks, I, I could see it retracing, you know, 30,000. I could see us going up to 30,000, potentially 35, but I do not see us, uh, I don't see road to $100,000 Bitcoin. And uh, with, Guys like Michael Saylor stepping down from MicroStrategy that says I don't think that they see it either. It's a, it's a. This guy is essentially the Novogratz. I remember Mike Novogratz came in, um, in 2018, and he was saying, "Oh, Bitcoin's gonna go to 40,000. It's gonna be 60,000 this this cycle," and it just didn't happen. It took five more years, and that's essentially what this guy is seeing too. Um, you know, he he saw a potential. He thought he was gonna have quick money. That's just not the case. So, yeah, and he put the big future in everything in Bitcoin. But the problem is, he was one of the biggest proponents for Bitcoin. So, yep. but the technology's there. The the adoption of the technologies is starting for people oh, out yeah. there. It's 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 like anything. The problem is just as you say, Gary. It's everything goes up and down. You've just got to catch it on the way back up. And you know, where is it going to go down from here? Yep. Is it going to stay at this? price point is it going to go up you know we don't different know the problem is if you can continue to keep buying when it goes higher and higher and higher <laughs> and then it does come down you're sort of snookered if you could he could have sold some of the way down you know just the same way elon musk sold a big chunk of bitcoin there yes so with well, tesla we're still holding on to bitcoin but i've sold essentially three quarters of my bitcoin holdings for tesla 
So he pulls out and does that. It's just like he's limiting his risk. It doesn't mean he doesn't hold a huge amount of Bitcoin. He's just not gone in 100% like this guy yeah. was. That's exactly. the difference. Yeah, because, uh, you know, that's exactly it's the best point right there is, you know, you don't ever go in 100%. You just you lose a bunch of money in the way up. If it's not like after a halving and after, you know, the blood in the streets, so to speak, it's, uh, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. But with um, another thing to watch is I, I don't think I have a chart handy for this, but um, when the 100-day moving average and the 200-day moving average, I think that is the two. When those collide, it's going to be bad. It's going to be very, very bad. I mean, the 50 and the 100 day collided a while back, but um, it's at a point where either Bitcoin has to go on a run yesterday, basically, or the MRI indicator is saying we're headed down. Like, I'll see you at 15K. <laughs> like, that's what it's saying. So um, just explain to people the difference between the, the what happens with the 50 day and the 100 day and the 100 and 200 day and how that actually affects the price so yeah in a very a very much. simple in a very simple term like if you have these lines and i'm just gonna emulate so this is one line right here let's let, let me make it a bit bigger first so we can see <laughs> feels ridiculous but let's just go yeah like you have these lines here there's three lines and you want these lines to be further apart the further they grow apart and project upwards apart that's good but when they start to come down and collide and cross each other like this and you know the the top is a 50 day it comes down when it hits the 100 day it's called a death cross but when it hits the you know when the 100 day hits the 200 day and then when they all collide that can be very bad that can be a death sentence for an asset and um it's very very simple that you you want those all three of those indicators if they're all going up and they're spreading apart that's what you want that's right the indicator of a healthy not i'm not going to say a healthy market but it's the indicator of a bull market what we have going on right now is um that convergence is a couple days away now you know it was avoidable and it still is avoidable if there is a um if there's a big green candle to take us up to 25 or 26 that would change things um, it doesn't matter what Ethereum's doing. A lot of people, there was like a 50% pump on Ethereum. It does not matter what Ethereum's doing right now. That's irrelevant. But with Bitcoin, it needs that. It needs to, you know, have that uh, that green candle right now to avoid that convergence. And I don't think we're going to, to avoid it. So. Mm -hmm. so just to round things off, I just shared another article that I found that was quite... I wouldn't say it's it's amusing for the guy, but let's bring it in. I've, I've put the link in there. It's James Howells. Oh, this uh, guy. This guy here. So let's bring him in. So he's under, this is a different type of Bitcoin problem. He's lost $150 million worth of Bitcoin. Uh, essentially, he's done a crowdfunding campaign so he can actually go to the refuse tip and try and find his hard drive because he kept his Bitcoin off chain. So if you've got a digital wallet and you're using someone like Coinbase, you know, things can go wrong and they can stop you taking your money out like any other of the, it's like a bank going bankrupt. That's the problem. But if you hold this thing off chain and it was all heard in this hard drive, he's now, and then he believed he threw it away. <laughs> so, so now he's done a crowdfunding campaign to find the hard drive. So he, I think he's got about $10 million dollars. He's prepared. He's got the money raised. He's going to give everyone who lives in the village some money to help him find his $150 million, 8,000 Bitcoin he's actually got. So a bit of a bad one. So if you've got one of these off-chain wallets that you keep, this is like going back to the original story of how people are using Bitcoin, uh, how all these sort of horror stories. You stopped hearing about this, Garrett. This is the first one I've heard in a while. You know? Yeah, it's it's one I have to say every time there's a bull market, this story comes up. Um, what I would have to say to him, if I if I could give this guy the best advice in the world right now, um, it's like I would guarantee him it's easier to go out there. <clears throat> like, I mean, he lives in the UK, but it's like in the United States or the UK. I mean, we live in some of the only countries in the world where 
you can go from being literally homeless to like five years later, you're a billionaire off of like a startup. I would tell them to like, you know, chalk it up as a loss and start a company. You create 150 million pound in value doing that. But with this, it's like, it's just going to drive him insane the rest of his life. It's like one of those like, uh, <laughs> and if I'm working driving the refuse trucks right now, it's like oh, lunchtime. I'm having a look about, you yeah. know, every computer that comes in. We're going to have a look. All the hard drives are gone. You know, it's yeah. like who's in looking for it right now before he even gets to come in there. So apparently, he's using technology that use the NASA have got. So he's acquiring some of their technology to go in and try and find this hard drive. So we'll we'll well we'll follow it and see how he gets on anyway. So, but I think he's raised a living million uh, to basically excavate yeah. but, you know these refuse sites are absolutely huge anyway so it's obviously not going to be the easiest one and now he's waiting for council approval and we know how slow the council operate especially out in the uk <laughs> waiting for waiting for his letter to go in in yeah. the meantime everyone else is jumping the fence and having a look for old computers you know yeah, Guaranteed. This, yeah that's it as well probably hosed i mean it's unfortunate for him, but he's probably <laughs> completely hosed. <laughs> yeah, you shouldn't laugh at some guy losing 150 million. But, you know, if anyone's got their Bitcoin held off chain, it's not always the best idea. You know, it's, especially if you go through Kraken Bank and people like that. Okay, the government's now aware of your Bitcoin, but the good thing is at least you've got it in the Kraken Bank and you're not just going to lose it if you, you're laptop breaks down or your flash drive that you've you've held at cold storage off chain has got lost or that the dog's eaten it or something be a difficult one imagine if the dog ate it what would you do then you know would you well you probably have to get an operation on your dog <laughs> yeah it's it's wild because like you know it's 150 mil but it's like i don't know like okay take alan iverson for example like that guy probably had you know, at his peak, he was probably had like a, a shit ton of money just for inflation. It was probably around there. He blew it all. And he's going to get another 30 million from Reebok in 2030 because he has a lifetime deal with him. So it's like he blew it all, but he's going to get some back. It's like I would I say to this guy, he should go start a basketball career. I heard about some guy that signed and he was like unhappy, but he was getting 75 million dollars a year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he can do basketball career, but he's obviously a smart guy anyway, and he's a computer yeah. genius. So, yep. you know, as you say, it might not. But now he's basically going after this Bitcoin. And imagine if he finds it. You know, that'll be the greatest Bitcoin story yet. Crazy story. You know, yeah, so. If you look up the um, I, the guy in uh, Key West, I mean, there's crazier shits happened. Like the 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 ship, the Mel Fisher shipwreck treasure. I mean, Mel Fisher found that treasure. It was a hell and hot water to find it and then get the state of Florida to agree that it was actually his, but he did find the, the last, um, Atocha treasure, like these, these oh, Spanish yeah. ships. So it's, it's modern day treasure hunting now guys, you know? <laughs> So that's it. So I would definitely, if I was living in the area, it's worth jumping the fence and having a snoop about, you know, before the council give them the green light. You never know your luck. So we'll wait and see. It's like winning the lottery, finding the oh, yeah. finding the hard drive, you know, that, the Bitcoin version of winning the lottery. All right. Well, that's perfect. We're just coming up to the hour again, Garrett. So, you know, today we've talked about the increase in oil profits. BP is doing well. ExxonMobil is doing great. Um, some of the problems with what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, you know, hopefully at some point in the future, we will get peace out there. And then a bit of an overview of the Bitcoin price and best of luck to, is it uh, James who's out there looking? Yeah, Welshman. Yeah. So James Howells, you know, best of luck to you with finding your $150 million in Bitcoin. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, thanks again, Garrett. And thanks to all the viewers out there. You've been watching Boomits on the Blockchain. Thanks very much. Have a nice day.